Good morning, church family. My name is Craig Thompson. I'm the senior pastor here, and I am so thrilled that you made time to be with us on this cold Sunday morning. Uh, this morning, again, I'm not preaching. I'm glad to be here today, but uh, we have a special treat for us in our first service. Stephen Hunter preached um, and did a wonderful job, and this morning in the second service, Greg Galupi is going to come in just a moment and preach uh, to you guys. Uh, Greg and Stephen have both been serving as interns here in the fall this year and really been chasing and pursuing God's call in their life and wrestling through what all that looks like, and so um, this morning it is a real privilege and honor to have them to preach to us in these two services. So at this time, I'll ask Greg if he would come. Welcome. Glad to have Wrong hand, sorry. Thank you so much. So I'm going to do a little bit of repeating. My name is Greg DeLupe. Uh, I am a member here at Malvern Hill, and uh, I've had the opportunity to, to preach other places and in some different settings here, but being able to preach on Sunday morning to my church family, is it's, a, it's important to me, and I, I'm very excited and honored to do that. These are the people that love my family, love my wife and my kids, so uh, I don't take this responsibility lightly, and I hope you guys uh, enjoy this. Uh, we'll be in Romans chapter 12 this morning, verses 1 through 8. Um, and as you turn there, Romans chapter 12 is Paul's famous uh, call for Christians to present themselves as a living sacrifice. And the big question we're going to wrestle with this morning is, how do you present yourself a living sacrifice? As a church, we, uh, we raised nearly $20,000 to be given to Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. This is an offering that supports international missionaries, and since its inception, it's, it's raised over $5 billion. And this is something we emphasize here every December, and until recently, I had no idea who Lottie Moon was or, or why this offering was named after her. I grew up Southern Baptist, and she was a Southern Baptist. Uh, and this is something that most Southern Baptist churches really emphasize, but I had no idea. Um, and, and Lottie would not care that, that you didn't know that. She, she wouldn't care at all. However, since we're talking about presenting yourself a living sacrifice, there are a few better examples than Lottie Moon. Charlotte Moon, or Lottie, lived from 1840 to 1912. She was born to a wealthy Southern family. However, during the Civil War, her, her family's fortune was wiped out. She placed her faith in Jesus and was baptized at 18 years old. She graduated from college and was one of the first women in the South to receive a master's degree. She felt her call to ministry on the international mission field in China in 1873. She nursed soldiers during the Civil War. She was never married nor had any children. She went to China and slept on brick beds with rooms uh, and dirt, with dirt floors. She would travel around to various villages speaking, evangelizing, and caring for all the people, all while being exposed, exposed to deadly viruses like smallpox. Lottie served the Lord for 39 years on the mission field in China, and she would die aboard a ship in Japan at 73 years old after not eating due to an illness. She weighed no more than 50 pounds when she died. They sold all of her possessions and emptied her bank accounts. And remember, she came from a wealthy family and had a master's degree. They'd sold everything, and all she had totaled $250. She didn't care about that. She wouldn't have cared about that because in the year of her death, over 2,300 people were baptized in the area she served. She only cared about living for King Jesus and telling others about him. 
Lottie Moon used her spiritual gifts and sacrificed everything, including her life, for the gospel. So, how do you present yourselves a living sacrifice to God? If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's word. This is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your, your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love, thank you for your grace, thank you for your word. I pray that everything we hear this morning, you would speak, through, uh, speak to us through your word and use, us, use it to transform our lives. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. So Paul starts this passage with an appeal, and he's pleading with the church in Rome to be different than the world around them, to be living sacrifices to God. Now, typically, when you see the word therefore, you have to look back at the previous verses to see what it's there for. However, Paul does tell us why in verse 1. He appeals by the mercies of God. The mercies of God are that God created everything. He gave everything to his creation, to us, those created in his image. He's so big, so awesome, so holy, yet he loves us wicked sinners enough to provide a way uh, for eternal communion with him. And in Romans chapters 1 through 11, Paul has carefully laid out the Christian faith. And at the end of chapter 11, he summarizes. Paul says, because of how great God is, because of all he's done for you, these are all the mercies of God. He told them that all the sinners, all humans are sinners and deserve wrath and death, but for God. And the but for God is the big appeal. That is the big mercy of God. And this is why Paul says that they, the church in Rome, and all Christians should live as a living sacrifice to God. And this leads us to our first point, be changed. Paul is speaking to a mixture of Jewish and Gentile Christians. And during this period, as much as ever, sacrifices were made all the time to appease and find favor and worship gods, little g gods. And sometimes we gloss over this word because we know that the ultimate sacrifice has already been made by Jesus. Sometimes we run, we run past the word sacrifice because it's a foreign concept to us. <clears throat> Think about it. You know, when's the last time you seriously had to sacrifice something? You seriously had to give something up? It, it's probably really hard to pinpoint because as Americans, uh, even the most impoverished in our, our society is among the wealthiest in the world. It's hard for us to understand what sacrifice truly is. Sacrifice is defined as the act of offering something to God. 
And in the Jewish context, we read throughout the Old, New, the Old Testament, uh, this is generally um, animal or produce sacrifices that are given for sin atonements or some other ceremonial command. And to the pagan converts or the Gentile Christians, this would have been a wider variety of things to appease or find favor with God's. However, Paul lives the word, adds the word living to the addition of sacrifice. And the addition of the word living here is very important, and it's Paul's reminder of our new creation state. See, Paul had laid this out throughout the book of Romans. We were all dead in our sins. We could not do anything to, to become alive again. We were dead, we were dead in our sins and living according to the flesh. And in 2 Corinthians 5.17 he tells us our, the old has passed away and we are a new creation. We are reconciled to God through Jesus and created new and alive. And now that we're alive, he's saying, you present yourselves as living sacrifice because all of God has done. Christians are called to be obedient and live in submission to King Jesus. And Paul says this is the way you truly worship God. This is your spiritual worship to God when you sacrifice and live for him daily. When Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, he used the example of light, and that we are to be lights, of the, lights to the world. And the Bible uses this uh, theme of light and dark to contrast the difference between God and the world or God and sin, the truth and, and lies. And if you are to be lights of the world, and, and the world is considered dark, as followers of Christ, you cannot be conformed to this world. So don't be conformed to this world. If you are living in conformity with this world, you cannot be light to the world, much less use your spiritual gifts for God's glory. In our 21st century lives, we've relegated much of our walk with Christ to Sundays or the areas of life that we feel comfortable or agree with the Bible. Being a living sacrifice cannot be relegated to just Sundays. But let's think about how the world has treated Sunday since Jesus' resurrection. Sunday was declared the holy day, the day of worship, rather than the seventh day, which was the Jewish tradition. Sunday was a time reserved specifically for Sabbath rest and worship. Many, in you, many of you in here remember the blue laws. Blue laws were designed to prohibit or limit the transaction of commercial business on Sundays or even recreational activities. So in other words, if, if you needed something for a recipe on Sunday, you better had went and got it on Saturday, otherwise you weren't cooking that. This isn't a novel Christian American idea or American idea. This was first documented just 300 years after Christ's death by the Roman Emperor Constantine. Now, I'm not calling for the government to force people to observe the Sabbath. And I'm not saying that Sunday is the required day of Sabbath. However, this is a real and present example of how our culture has drifted and how we as Christians become too busy and too distracted, too worldly to observe the Sabbath on Sunday or any day. Christians have drifted and followed the culture and began to look no different than the world. They become conformed and cannot use their spiritual gifts to complete the work God has assigned for them. In a recent sermon, Craig said, if you love God, you would read his word. And similarly, if you believe in the life-giving gospel that God's word tells us about, you will act differently. You won't be conformed to this world. 
Paul states it clearly, and I can't do it any better. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Paul is pleading with the Christians to be different than the world around them, to be transformed from the inside out by the Holy Spirit. By this transformation, you'll be able to discern what the will of God is. However, while the transformation or, or sanctification is work of the Holy Spirit, we are not idle in our efforts. You discern God's will by doing. In Colossians 3, Paul instructs the reader to put on their new nature, to be renewed as you learn to know your creator and be more like him. When you put a shirt on, do you just sit there passively and, the, and allow the shirt to work around you? No. You have to physically do something to get, get the shirt on, to get your clothes on. And in the same way, you play a vital role in putting on your shirt. Putting on your shirt. You do that. You also play a vital role in putting on your new self and discerning God's will. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we're created in Christ Jesus for good works, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So how do you discern by doing? Our students are going to think that I have some sort of glitch or I'm, I'm hung up um, because I say this all the time and, and many of our other adult leaders do as well. <clears throat> you have to be, the, the way you discern God's will is simple. You read the Bible, you pray, and you get around God's people. We add a few other things to that, but those are the those are the, the, the three things that if, if you're not doing, nothing else you're doing is going to matter. God's word teaches you and convicts you, thereby transforming you. When you pray to God, you are speaking to God and allowing him to, to transform the way you think about him. He's telling you the way you should see the world instead of you trying to bend God to your will, thereby transforming you. By being around God's people, we are encouraged, taught, loved, stirred up for good works. We are, we are held accountable, all, all transforming us. And all this transformation is for you to understand what God's will is for you, what he's prepared for you to do. And notice, all of these things are just the normal, ordinary things. God uses the ordinary to make extraordinary transformation in you. So how do you present yourself a living sacrifice? First, be changed. Second, be humble. Paul continues by telling the reader to be humble, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought, but to use sober judgment according to the measure of faith God has assigned. Now this measure of faith isn't speaking about the faith that you place in Jesus. This is talking about how much faith that God has given you, the effectiveness and the gifts that God has given you. He's given to each of his children. As many of you have heard said, God equips the called. He will give you the things you need to carry out his plans. But you must know yourself. <clears throat> John the Baptist is a great example of humility. John played an important role in God's redemptive plan. He was the fulfillment of prophecy, and he was the forerunner for Jesus the Messiah. John kicked off the call for national repentance before the incarnate Jesus, before he be even began uh, his mission on earth, his, his ministry. He even has a nickname that points to the importance of what he was doing. He's John the Baptist. He's the baptizer. <clears throat> At one point, his disciples come to him and say, hey, this Jesus guy is out here baptizing. He's doing the things that, 
you're doing. This, this is your thing. We thought you were the baptizer. And John replies with the words that we should all seek to live out in our lives. He says he, John says he, meaning Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. John did not think more highly of himself than he should have. John could have made the selfish move and said, I'm the baptizer. I did this first, but he didn't. John knew himself. He knew his role and he depended on others to fulfill God's plan. In the same way that John depended on Jesus and others, you must depend on one another. Let's just look at Paul, the, letter, the author of this letter, as an example. Paul was probably a very good preacher, very good preacher, and would have served a, a church well as a pastor. But he did not stay in one place for very long. He mentored many, many people. We see that in the pastoral epistles. We see the churches that he wrote to in, in the New Testament. He remained in contact with them, but he depended on them and other people to carry out and do the job God had given them, and he continued doing his. Paul could not stay in all the churches and all the areas that he had been. He had to trust God and depend on one another, depend on others to do the work God had given them. If Paul had attempted to work against the Spirit's leading and say, I'm going to stay here and be a pastor in this church, I'm going to stay here and do this thing, he would have been telling God he did it wrong. Paul and all the people we read about in the New Testament, New Testament belong to the part of one body. They all play different roles in different places on the same mission to carry the gospel to every nation, to the ends of the earth. And Paul uses the analogy of the human body here to make his point. Christ is the head, the main driver, the reason we do everything. And the church is the body. The church operates through the direction of the head. We, we follow Jesus and all he commanded. Each body part does something different, but all the parts are important. Sure, there are some parts that are absolutely vital, but every part has a role to play. Think about if you've ever broken a toe or you stub your foot, you stub your toe on something. You know immediately how important your toes are. Try standing up and walking. The point is here that we look at the toe as a very insignificant, small part of the body. But without it, the body can't function properly. And each one of us has a role and a part to play in God's plan. He's given each of us spiritual gifts. And if one of us or many of us aren't doing those things, then we are hindering the body of Christ. We are hindering building God's kingdom. But notice I said we play a part. I say that because there's typically three types of people. You have those doing their job, you have those doing their job and someone else's job, and then you have those doing little to nothing. Somehow we need to hear that we can't do everything, and I'm preaching to myself here because I've said yes to a lot of things over the years that I probably shouldn't have. Some of you need to hear it because you work yourselves to the bone, and by doing that, you can't produce your best when you, when you work yourself that hard. And you could be taking away opportunities from other people who can do that job. Some of you need to hear it because you think you can do everything and no one else can do that job exactly like you can. Trust me, you can't do everything better than everyone else. Again, preaching to myself here. Remember that pride comes before the fall. You are part of the body, not the whole body. On the other hand, 
there are those of you who need to know that when you come to Christ, you become part of the body. And there are expectations that you serve as the hands and feet of Jesus. If you force yourself into areas that God hasn't planned for you, or if you stay sidelined because you are desiring someone else's gifts, or you just don't know what you're supposed to do, you're telling God he did it wrong. Recently, I helped a friend change a serpentine belt on a vehicle. Serpentine belt is the belt that run, on the front of the motor that runs in between all the pulleys. And it, it's a very important part. Without it, nothing happens. Each one of those pulleys turns something very vital to the motor's operation or the vehicle's operation so it can be propelled. However, most of those components cannot fulfill their role without the others. <clears throat> if you've ever seen a motor tested outside of a vehicle, you understand what I'm saying. That motor does nothing except generate power. That power then has to be converted and transferred to all the other components. Each one of those parts is playing a very vital role. It's driving the car forward. God has given each one of us different abilities and tasks that if we depend on others, accept our mission and do our task, we drive the gospel forward. God is sovereign and his plan will move forward with or without us, whether we choose to participate or not. But Paul is telling us that if we truly understand what, this, what, what God's word says, and we truly believe all of his mercies, we will participate by being living sacrifices. And how do we do that? First, be changed by being transformed. Second, be humble by knowing yourself and depending on others. And finally this morning, be involved. Before Paul gives a short list of spiritual gifts, he references God's grace. And it's important to reemphasize that grace is a gift. In the same grace that God saves sinners, he gives spiritual gifts. You cannot earn spiritual gifts. All is God's and he graciously gives as he sees fit according to his plan. Paul urges the reader to actually use these gifts and he tells them that we should take them seriously. In 1 Peter 4, Peter tells us that when we use all of our God-supplied energy using our gifts this brings glory to God. And it's hard not to think about the parable of the talents here. Um, the, the teaching behind the parable is that God is, is the creator and the giver of everything. And he gives, the master in the parable, gives each of his servants money to go and do work while he goes away. And the first two servants go away and they do the work. But the third servant, who knew his master, decided not to work for him. He buried it. And he was cast out. Don't be like the third servant. Use your gifts to glorify God and build the church. <clears throat> now, I want to be clear here. This is not works-based salvation. But it is an expectation that with a truly changed heart, you will be obedient to what God has given you and build his kingdom first. And this is what James means when he says, I'll show you my faith by my works. God designed man to be in community. And he has a plan that has always been worked out through man. And when you decide not to be a part of his plan, not to be a part of building the kingdom, building the church, and using these gifts to those ends first, you are in sin. You are still acting as if you were of the world. 
You are glorifying yourself. So what are some of these spiritual gifts? Paul's list in Romans includes prophecy, teaching, encouraging, giving, leadership. There's a sister passage in 1 Corinthians where Paul adds things like mercy and discernment. And these are not an exhaustive list, but most, if not everyone in here, and everyone hearing this message will have several of these gifts. There's a high likelihood that you all have several of these gifts in varying degrees. If you think back to Lottie Moon, some of her gifts would have definitely been teaching and mercy. They were most certainly better teachers than Lottie Moon, but she went where God called her and she maximized her gifts the best she could. Also notice that every one of those gifts, every one of them is intended to be used in relationship and in fellowship with others. They're intended to bring glory to God first and bless other people. If your gifts ever seem to only be bringing glory to you, you probably need to check whatever it is you're doing. Your gifts were given to benefit God or to give glory to God and benefit others. Each time someone joins Malvern Hill, Craig tells them that you have the right to call on the church for anything you need. But the next words out of his mouth are, and we have the right to call on you as you grow in Christ to serve in the church in the ways God has gifted you. And as Malvern Hill continues to grow, the children's ministry, and I've, I've noticed that this place was a lot fuller before we let the children go. The children's ministry, which is 100, will grow. Our student ministry, which is 80, will continue to grow. And new life groups will pop up. And as, as God continues working here, and we continue as the church being faithful and following his will, discerning his will, using our gifts, we will need more people working together as the body. But don't just use your gifts. Help others identify and use their gifts. Again, we are part of a body. We can't do it all on our own, but we all have individual roles and different gifts that God has given us to serve the church. The writer of Hebrews says we should stir one another up for good works. Good works are the things that God prepared beforehand. The only way to accomplish these good works that are uniquely created for you are to first be born in Christ, born again in Christ, and then to use the gifts God has given you to be that living sacrifice. But sometimes people need help identifying their gifts. They may be new to the faith and don't know exactly where to begin serving. Someone may be new to the faith and don't know what gifts they have. Or maybe they do know what gifts they have, but they don't know how to use them in a church setting. I found it best to test ministries. Go and do the different things that you think you may be gifted in. Ask other people. It'll help you identify the gifts that maybe you're unaware of. Now, following this sermon, I may find out that this is not my gift and I shouldn't be standing here. <laughs> I appreciate that. But sometimes people also need to be asked to serve. Most times people need to be asked to serve. I'm sure that all of our ministry leaders would love it if each one of you would go up to them and say, I want to serve in your ministry. I want to do this. And that has happened, but it is very, very rare. People generally need to be spurred along in a general direction. And life group leaders, this is a charge to you specifically. You should be developing good enough relationships with the people in your group to help them identify their gifts, to show them the opportunities and the places that they can serve in the church. 
or that they can just use their gifts uh, to glorify God. And a final note here, all of these spiritual gifts are great. And the, and the series about spiritual gifts, we all need to know what our gifts are and we need to discern God's will and we need to glorify God. But in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, Paul goes and talks about, you could be the most spiritually gifted person in the, in the world. You could be the most gifted person sitting in this room. But without love, you are useless. You're but a clanging symbol. You're glorifying yourself. So, how do you present yourself a living sacrifice? First, be changed by the gospel. Be transformed from within by the Holy Spirit. Be humble. Know yourself. Depend on one another. And third, be involved. Use your gifts by encouraging others. Sacrifice is not easy. There's nothing, there was nothing easy about being nearly beaten to death and carrying the tool of your death up a hill. But Jesus did it to make a way for you. Sacrifice will cost you something. It will cost you pride. It may cost you time, money, friends, social or worldly opportunities. Presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice is a decision that each one of you must make for yourself. It is all of you, all of the time. You must decide if following Jesus and all he commanded is worth the sacrifice that you need to make. So believers here today who are using your gifts to glorify God, continue doing so. Find someone to come alongside, disciple them, help them identify their gifts, show them where they may be useful. Believers who are sitting on the sideline because you feel someone else can do this, you don't get to choose that. When you, when you are adopted by God as children, you become members of the body of Christ. You do not earn salvation by working, but you are expected to be obedient and serve God with the gifts he's given you. Believers who don't know what their gifts are, are you reading God's word, looking for the answer? Are you asking God to reveal it to you? Have you asked someone in your church family, what do you think I'm gifted in? How can I serve? Don't let Satan tell you the lie that God doesn't have a plan for you. Test the waters, find the ministries, find out where God's plan is for you. And finally, to the unbeliever, someone who doesn't have a relationship with Christ, if you've never made that decision in your life, if you're trying to work to earn God's love, Stop fighting, stop working, stop trying to fix things on your own. Don't worry about anything else I said in this sermon. Spiritual gifts and God's plan for you with your gifts are not important. The only thing you need to worry about is accepting the gift of Christ. Jesus paid it all for your sins and we would love to introduce you to him today. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We love you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word that never returns void. We thank you for all the ways that you've blessed us and all the ways that you gift us. Father, I just pray that we will find ways to glorify you. We will always seek to discern your will, to, to find ourselves in your will and use our gifts to drive the gospel forward and tell everyone about Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. Please stand.